In this episode, we get to talk to Scott Galloway, who's the servant leader and president of Galloway Resource Partners in Columbus, Ohio. During our time with Scott, we had the opportunity to talk about a lot of different topics, including organizational culture, playing offense and defense in business, in a new term that I learned, which is work-life harmony, among others. Caleb, why don't you go ahead and kick it off with our first question? All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, on our podcast today, we have David Safer. If you don't know him, you need to know him. He is a cash flow expert. Uh, his LinkedIn, he's got tons of posts, and he really knows what he's talking about in terms of managing your cash flow, but also creating sustainability. So, David, would you like to kind of kick us off and introduce yourself, and we're going to dive into some detail. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks for having me on today, Caleb. Um, uh, it's great to be here because I love working with small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, the typical business I work with is somewhere between a million and 10 million on the upside, which really is not a medium-sized business. That's still small, even though they might have uh, quite a few employees, they've got great revenue. The reason I work with these types of companies is because they have so much opportunity so quick to improve the cash flow situation. So my background's in corporate. I worked with really large companies. You probably have heard of Morgan Stanley. You've probably heard of Kodak, but some other publicly held companies. And I got into general business management and I did restructurings. And that's where I learned to work with all the different facets of a company and how it impacts profitability and also cash and cash flow. Um, I do have a master's of international management that gave me a good understanding on the theory, but man, the rubber hits the road with small and medium sized companies. Awesome. Yeah. I love what you said there. Cash flow is not just a financial thing. It is affected by every department, every decision you make mm -hmm. directly implicates everything with cash flow. And it is so vital, especially if you're going to look to grow and gain assets which is a very hot topic right now with the recession. Uh, so I guess if you could kind of explain your uh, some, some theories and some day-to-day -day things that you do for companies. Like, let's say I hire you on, what, what can you do for me? Well, it depends on what your problem is. So it's not, it's cash flow management is not a uh, single dimensional issue. Um, there's two typical scenarios where people are having challenges with cash flow management. I don't get hired by people who just say, hey, things are going great. We'd like to put in a cash management system. Um, although I could help those companies, generally what's going on is one of two scenarios. Number one is that revenue is going down and they're, so they're in a cash crunch. Number two is revenue is going up and they're in a worse cash crunch. And number three is actually they're in okay shape, but they don't have any cash. So those are the three major scenarios. Um, and, and the most interesting to me and generally the easiest to fix is the profitable company that doesn't have cash and they can't figure out where all their cash is. Um, should I just keep going or do you want to focus in on one of those? Go ahead and go with your favorite right now. This is really interesting. So uh, actually that last scenario 
where company is very profitable but doesn't have cash is one of my favorites. And why is it one of my favorites? Number one, it really is very easy to find the cash where it is if you understand um, financial statements. And number two is I've got some great anecdotal stories of, of quick turnarounds uh, working with those types of companies. So how about if we explore financial statements? Is that okay? Absolutely. So one of the responses I get the most out of my posts is when I talk about how frustrated I am by accounting statements when it comes to small business owners. Small business owners do not get into business to do cash flow management, to do finance, to understand finance. And it drives me absolutely nuts when I've got people saying, people shouldn't get into business unless they understand finances. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. Some of the worst business people in the world have CPA after their name. They don't know how to run a business. Now, some of the best are as well. But understanding finance has nothing to do with creating markets and having good products and being able to sell and all the other aspects. So here's my pet peeve about financial statements. They don't tell you where the cash is. To a lay person, the financial statements are a quagmire of arcane um, accounting terms and smoke and mirrors, especially when it comes to accrual-based accounting. Now, I am not an accountant. I, I'm not a CPA. I'm not a finance major. I'm a business person. So one of the key things I do is translate financial results and financial statements into plain English for my clients. And so we're going to talk a lot about um, one particular client. I went in and this was in the eastern part of the United States, up in the mountains, very small town. And this, the owner owned a um, store that sh uh, sold outdoor motorized products for lawn care and yard care. So that was lawnmowers in the summer and snowblowers in the winter with all the other types of things that you might think of. And he looked at me and he had owned this business for years. And he said, David, I don't understand it. I mean, and he was in tears. My, my accountant showed me this. I've, I made a quarter of a million dollars last year in profit. And I might not be able to make payroll in three weeks. Where is all my money? And this was one of the first clients I ever dealt with just specifically cash flow management. And I said, I'm not sure. So we sat down and we said, okay, here's your income statement. Um, yes, you made a quarter million dollars, but let's switch to cash accounting because they were accrual based reports. And I'm not going to explain what that means. If you don't know what accrual it is and you're not an accountant, don't worry about it. But you do want to run all your reports with cash base accounting to try to understand where your cash is. And it shifted a little bit, but not a ton. So then we looked at the balance sheet. And long story short, he had um, a half a million dollars, I think, in free and clear inventory that was all in the warehouse. That's part of where his cash was, was in the inventory. He also had 
let's just call it $100,000 worth of accounts receivable, that some of it was way overdue. The majority of it was way past 30 days. $100,000, well, there's a lot of cash that if you're using accrual accounting, you made the profit, but you just didn't get your, your cash, your hands on the cash. So there's two key areas where cash disappears. Where's another key area? There are two other key areas that we see all the time when people are making a profit and they don't know where the cash is. Number one is return of capital on loans is not considered an expense. Why? Because when you get the loan, it's not considered income. So if you borrow $100,000, the, the IRS doesn't say, hey, you, you just earned $100,000, you've got to pay us taxes. So when you pay that money back, if you paid it back in one lump sum, it's easier to understand. They're not saying, hey, you can, you can deduct all that as an expense because it's not. It, it's, it's just capital that you borrowed and you're exchanging uh, an asset. You get an asset and you're offsetting it with the liability. It's not income. Does that make sense? Because if it doesn't make sense to you guys, it's not going to make sense to your listeners. So I'm going to pause. That, do, that does make sense. You know, and, and something that stood out to me, David, that I think oftentimes I even run into with small business owners where they think they can do it all. Yeah. Right. Versus yeah. really finding an expert to help you with your financial statements, with the yes. cash flow, with other aspects of the, your business. I think oftentimes there's this view of, I own the business and I've got to be the expert, you know, the quarterback, lawyer, finance person, ops person, HR person. There's an inflection point. Um, when you start a business, um, there's a, the benefit of outsourcing is low versus the cost of it. But the, at some point you hit this medium point uh, intersection where um, the cost is equal to the benefit. And that's where you really got to start engaging. My recommendation is you start outsourcing as soon as possible. But at some point, you have to. It, there's no option if you're going to grow. And quite frankly, like this, it wasn't a growth issue. It was a survival issue. He was just fine. So let me tell you the, the fourth area that money just goes into a black hole. And that is when owners pay themselves off of payroll, they're not in payroll, they're paying themselves a dividend, they're paying themselves a distribution, it doesn't show up on the income statement. You can barely find it on the balance sheet. And there's this new statement that came out with the statement of cash flows. It is the hardest one to read. It doesn't really tell you what's going on with your cash flow. It's a snapshot. It just tells you where money came from. When you sell inventory, money comes in. When you buy inventory, money goes out. So whatever the net was between, I'm not even going to start. It's not worth it. That's Those are the four things. If people don't know where their money is going and when they're making a profit, look at those four things and then in cash accounting, and then you'll start understanding probably where your money is going. And if you don't, then I'd have to ask more questions about the situation. One one question, when you mentioned accounts receivable, mm -hmm. David, what, what's a good 
target or is it industry specific on, you know, how many days age you should expect? Obviously, the sooner you collect, the better. But is there kind of a, a standard that you typically work with customers that your receivables should be, you know, no more than X percent over X number of days as a best practice? It depends on your objective. So as far as I'm concerned, if you've got a 30-day receivable, you should be at or under 30 days, period, on average. And if you don't, you've got bad systems. You've either got bad systems for checking credit, you've got bad systems for invoicings, you have bad systems for collecting. And let me give you an example. Um, this client I was just talking about have had about $100,000 in accounts uh, receivable, and we went through them. And the guy was getting upset. He, he knows most of these people, right? He's like, I go to church with this guy, and I can't believe he hasn't paid me. And, you know, he's been a client for years. I can't believe. And so I said, um, and the CFO was there, and so was the guy's wife because she was trying to help out. I said, so what do they say when you call them and ask about it? And, they, and he looks and says, so what do they say? And the CFO is just like, I don't know. Nobody told me we should be calling these people. And it was like, okay, let's call them. Most of the people, it was either they forgot about it. I mean, some of them really did. The people who went to church with him, some of them were embarrassed. They walked checks in the same day they got the phone call because they had no idea. Other ones, there were bad invoices. Other ones, there was... There were some true collection issues, but over half of it came in within a week and that paid for payroll for at least a month, maybe two. So when you ask that question, number one is if you've got terms, it should be at or below as far as I'm concerned. But number two, my question would be, if you need the money, you can pay them to pay you faster. You're probably familiar with collection terms. You give a discount for paying up front or you give a discount for putting in a deposit or you give a discount for not even paying up front, but paying in less than 30 days, paying within 10. And so therefore I have a hard time with industry standards because I want to know what that client needs and what they can support. And if they're cash flush, and the, and the risk level is low, my question would be, would it be to your benefit to extend longer terms? Take installment payments, right? Hey, here's a $5,000 mower. I can give you a credit card. You can put it on your card. But if you want to, I'll carry it and pay me $500 a month. Uh, sorry, uh, $520 a month for 10 months. And all of a sudden, you've made an extra whatever amount of $200, which is um, what, 2%, 4% extra. Yeah. No, I think that's great insight. Cause I think so many times on even an academic, I hear, you know, why I ask that question, you hear, oh, the benchmark for insert industry here is X and you've got to be at X or below, you know, and you want 90% of everything to be there. But I think that's really key is understanding what the goal of the business is and, and what situation they're in. I mean, what a frustrating thing to be in a situation where you are making money, but you can't meet payroll or short-term obligations. Yeah. So, you know, one of the challenges when I get on a discussion like yours, 
I've identified at least 135, might be more than that, ways to manage your cash flow. And so to say one thing, and I'll give you another example. You could be down to zero. All you got to do is sell it to a factor, which is somebody who buys accounts receivable, but it'll cost you a lot of money. But if you've got super high margins and you want that cash in sooner, that's one way to, to, to get almost you know immediately. There's loans that you can borrow money against your receivables. There's a company I know of, if you have a contract with, if any of you are listening, you have a contract with the federal government, I can get you paid on your order. I can get you paid on a shipment and then uh, upon shipping and then additional. I, I know of a company that does that kind of lending and it's not a loan loan, it's a line of credit. That's their entire business is federal contractors. And it's 12% a year, which is 1%. And it comes out to much lower actual rate because you're paying it back constantly the way they've got it set up. And I could keep going on any of these niches. What other questions you got for me? I think one that might be just beneficial is for any listeners that don't know the difference between kind of this line of credit slash loan, or they might think of a loan as something negative, right? I've got to get this cash and then got to work to pay it back. Maybe go a little bit deeper on, on the differences, you know, at a high level between those two things. Between a line of credit and a loan? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, let me just tell you, if you have an option, go with the line of credit. Um, all other things being equal. Um, in a certain way, a credit card is a line of credit, um, but it's very, very expensive. So I don't recommend credit cards unless you can pay them off every single month. And it takes a lot of discipline not to get dig yourself into a hole. A line of credit says, pretend I'm the bank and you want to borrow money. I'll say, okay, Jeff, there's two ways to do it. You can have your $100,000. I'll give it to you all in one lump sum. And you're going to pay a certain interest rate to do that. And every single month without failure, you're going to have a fixed payment for the next five years or 10 years, depending on what we arrange. That's one way to go. The other way to go is, listen, I'm going to open up a line of credit for you. And um, you use it when you want to. And if you don't want to use it, that's okay. Um, pay us back. You're going to have a minimum payment like a credit card, but it's a reasonable amount of credit. Um, and depending on the situation, it's probably a higher amount than an absolute than an actual loan. Um, so what's the disadvantage of a line of credit? In today's environment, you're at risk of the line of credit being drastically cut or, or eliminated unilaterally. No warning. During the housing crisis of 2006, 7, 8, people got notices in, in the mail or went to access lines of credits and they were gone or they were cut in half. So depending on, so when COVID-19 hit, I was telling people, if you've got a line of credit, go take it out of the bank right now, cash it out and open up another bank account and put it in there in a separate bank because you can have terms of your loan agreement that says, yeah, if it's in our bank, we can take it back and they can attach it. They can freeze your accounts. And so I was advocating move it. Now, 
we haven't had these repercussions yet with the COVID-19 pandemic, but I'm telling you, it's coming because we're going to see the government has propped up the economy through various mechanisms and we are seeing failures. Right now it is July of 2000 and 20, 2020 and I get a newsletter and every week we're seeing a record number of new business bankruptcy filings. And this is before these funds ran out. And we're going to see more as we go through the year. So if you've got a line of credit, take it out, put it in a different bank. If you want to pay it back over time, but that small amount of interest you're paying is a a small uh, price to pay to have liquidity when you need it. Yeah. Okay. I just rambled for another five minutes. No, that, that totally, totally makes sense. And I'm, are you seeing more urgency for companies needing this help with, you know, liquidity issues now, given, you know, different states, governor or orders shutting down non-essential businesses, you know, they've still got fixed costs and, and in some cases, variable costs that they're, they're covering. And, you know, what are you seeing kind of across the board with this pandemic? And even if you had a crystal ball, which I know none of us do, you know, what do you think the, the end game starts to look like for businesses that make it through this successfully? So the businesses that make it through it successfully are going to, number one, understand their cash. What's their runway? So th- there's something I advocate for every business to have a 13-week cash flow model. If you're doing well, it's not as important. But man, if, if, you're, if you're growing quickly, you need to have one because you're going to run out of cash in most business models. If you're declining or you're in this situation where now, there's no way for you to know how long your money's going to last without setting up a model. And so those are the businesses that really understand their cash, what their expenses are. You, me- you mentioned variable costs. So if you're a restaurant, your food costs go up and down directly. But then you've got uh, incremental or discretionary costs, which is, again, let's use the, the restaurant. Most people, even if they can open, there's a lot of restaurants that are not because they're finding without the volume to bring back a full wait staff and uh, plate cleaners and you know the dishwashers, they can't afford it at the volume of business they're able to function at. And the only way to know that is by having a cash flow model or business model that accurately reflects different levels of business. So you've got variable, you've got discretionary. Well, sorry, that's incremental costs because you can't. You you can you can hire a person and but if you're going to hire a second person and a third, it really is not totally variable. And then you've got completely discretionary costs. Uh, for example, for that would be advertising. Do you still maintain advertising levels when you've got a tenth of the business? I wouldn't. You figure out guerrilla warfare advertising tactics. Um, and so the people who control their costs, maximize, and there's a term out there, it's being talked about all the time, pivot. I like just to say you change your business model. And that's, that's going to endure versus a pivot is a... Um, colloquialism that'll come and go. You change your business model as you need to. Um, you know, my Chinese restaurant that I go to weekly, um, they have delivery now. They're affiliated with the delivery person, which they never were. 
Um, simple things like that that can drive more business. Um, those are the businesses that are going to survive. Take advantage of the grants, the PPP loans, and other economic disaster funds that are available. Be careful. Do not get sucked in listening only to popular media. PPP loans has a ring to it. And so people are talking about it. But do you, you know there's economic disaster recovery loans that are exactly the same as a hurricane or a tornado or a flood that are available? Most people don't because everyone's focusing in on PPP loans. So go out and explore what your options are for government assistance. Um, we could keep talking, but I'll stop and say, what else do you want to talk about? And let's get, or, or we could talk more about this. One thing I kind of wanted to talk about was the product versus the service industry in terms of cash flow management. It's so hard to have cash flow from a service standpoint and get an exact model. How important is it to kind of, if you had to match it up as closely as you can get, or do you have any recommendations? Because, you know, for a lawn service industry, one year you could be doing like this year, for instance, lawn care has been booming because everyone's at home. No one wants to go outside when it's 100 degrees everyone's having their grass cut, their spring cleanups, all of this. How right. important, or I guess what model would you use to kind of have a cash flow for people and a service? Well, th that's really great. Um, it would be the same type of a 13 week. You can make a 13 month, but weeks are great because you don't spend money in months. You spend money weekly. Um, a 13 week cash flow model still works. So let's talk about the lawn care industry and people You've got an incremental number of people who are going to work with you, depending on um, your volume for that week. And so you've probably got, um, in a long service, you've got repeat customers who basically signed a, an agreement they're going to get it done every week. And so you say, okay, here's my baseline. I need 10 people to cut everybody's lawn on the weekly rotation that we've got. But then you ha the, the trickier part, and so that's easy to estimate the cost. It's easy to estimate the revenue. The trickier part is when you're trying to estimate the additional services, somebody says, hey, listen, I want you to fix my sprinkler, it broke. Or somebody says, um, listen, we want to dig up this yard, um, the bushes and, and put down sod. That's a little bit harder to predict, but the best predictor of future is the past. So you start looking at trends. You start doing estimating of, of the revenue that comes in and generally, there's a ratio of revenue to expense in any business on average. Don't get, up, hang, don't get hung up on perfection for any kind of forecasting. It will never happen. Work on reasonableness. Work on um, not being surprised by something. Work on trying to project, learning from the mistake, which is not a mistake, it's just inaccuracy, and get more and more accurate as you start working on how much revenue is coming in and what the associated costs are, that's the best way to work with a variable service model. Um, so that's thought number one. So let me give you a different scenario though. Um, it's the, what do you want out of your business? Do you want as much revenue as possible or do you want profitability? Do you want to focus in on sprinkler repair and not on 
um, shrub installation because it's more profitable. And so in addition to your backward looking forecast, you should be looking forward at, are we gonna put anything on sale? Are we gonna have the business development people really focusing in a particular area of the business? And then you can focus and forecast that part of the business on revenue and adjust those incremental costs on that area of the business. That's the proactive part in addition to the reactive answering the phone and saying, okay, we'll be there on Thursday next week to deal with your issue. Does and that that's, help? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I've really been kind of trying to dial into is there is no perfect system that'll work completely for every situation that life will ever throw at you. So you have to be adaptable. And I guess the, the big thing that I've really noticed is the integration factors with all of your different sectors of business. So just because you're doing, you know, a thousand dollars in sales a year versus doing a hundred million dollars in sales a year, how you integrate every sector of business will directly impact all of your cash flow. Yes. And that's kind of what I guess if I had one takeaway from business, life and business go hand in hand in terms of integration. How you run your life could be how you run your business, vice versa. And there's so many cash flow policies that I think that we don't even consider in our own life. We you know, we got this retirement mindset where we throw all of our money away and cool, I'll get that in 40 years. What if I want it now though? How do you yeah, set up a yeah, brokerage yeah. account and borrow from yourself so you don't have to go to the bank? How do you set up a life insurance policy, take out against the cash value so you don't have to go into all these different loans and second home equity line of credits? So that's why I really love cash flow. And that's why I love what you're saying is because it's applicable and it's important. It, it is a really great point. Cash flow principles can be directly applied to personal life as well. Um, it, it's especially the more, the wealthier you are, number one, and number two, uh, business owners, they're, they're so closely tied. And you, one of the ways people get in trouble is using their own company as a piggy bank. And that's one of the separations in a good cash flow model saying, okay, how much is gonna get paid? And you can actually put in the model of, well, if it's over this amount, hey, we're going to spin it off and the owners get it, right? And you do a dis disbursement. But to just continually be ignorant of how much money you're spending on yourself out of the business, failure. Uh, it, it happens. I work with clients like that and we, we separate the money. I think that's, that's key, not just the from a cash flow, but just a good business practice to make sure that that stuff is separate, you know, and you're not using personal credit cards, personal credit to pump into your business and then vice versa. You know, if maybe personally you've got a cash flow issue at home and you're taking some money out of the company to prop up yourself at home, you know, you can get into trouble. Absolutely. Or you've seen it real quick. But at the same time, a startup company, it is okay to say, all right, I'm going to use this credit card, which is my personal credit, to do business-only charges. And, and everything is earmarked. That's okay. Um, there could be legal issues involved, piercing the corporate veil, but most people are so porous, it's not going to make a wood of difference. Um, you've got to get to be fairly large and have a fairly robust asset protection scheme in place 
to be able to truly protect yourself on the personal side. So if you do it right, you can do it, but keep it separate, even if it's a personal asset. Uh, that's great advice. One, one question, I wanted to go back to the economic um, disaster loans for a minute. So I've heard some small business owners that, you know, in their particular business, they don't have debt. They're, mm -hmm. you know, they're struggling right now with some of the shutdowns, but they don't want to get another loan because they're, you know, their business is loan free necessarily. What would you say to business owners like that, that are kind of in this struggling a little bit, but, you know, don't want to get some sort of a loan because they feel like they finally, you know, paid off the debts that the business owned and isn't in a good place. So I'd say, um, can you survive? Don't let your pride of getting out of debt get in the way of your business surviving. And if you don't know if it's going to survive or not, you better figure it out quickly. Um, and the best way to figure it out is a cash flow model and whether or not there's enough money coming in. Um, again, you could be profitable, but your cash is going out the door. Um, you know, this is... This is one with these um, loans from the government. All of a sudden, they got a huge chunk of cash. It doesn't show up as profit. It doesn't show up as loss. It's just cash. They're going, oh, look, I'm fine. I lost $20,000 last month. But look at all the money I've got in the bank. I must be doing okay. It's like, no, 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 no. Time out. $20,000 came out of your bank account. And if you borrowed 100000 that means you've got five months less left until you're bankrupt. I'm oversimplifying, but that's basically what it is. David, with cash flow, it's great to know how much cash is coming into your business. It's good to know your P&L statements, you know, the whole nine yards with the financial statements. What At what point do you sit down and get a futuristic outlook and say, okay, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. Because for a lot of small businesses, they might be very content with where they're at. Well, if you're content with where they're at, that's great. And again, I said, if, if you're not having trouble, you really don't need this type of a system set up. But if you're trying to grow or you're trying to wind down, we'll talk about, let's talk about winding down first, because maybe that's your objective. Your objective is to sell. Um, let's talk about, as opposed to going out of business, your objective is to sell. How do you maximize your sale price? You maximize your sale price by being a cash generating machine for the guy who guy or gal is going to come along and buy you out. Or if you're big enough, the, the next company that will buy you out. And how do you know that your cash generating machine is by paying attention to it? And so that if that's your objective, it's all about how much cash are you generating? Because you're basically saying to the, the prospective owner, and this includes your salary, that you're saying to them, here's an income stream that you can replace me with an employee and you're going to get paid $100,000 a year for basically doing nothing as a business owner. What is that $100,000 worth to you? Versus, yeah, it's a really great business. And if you just do this, you know, we're not making any money right now. We're making $10,000 a year. But it, you know what? If you pull out these costs, those are my costs. You don't have to worry about those. Or if you just do a little bit of marketing, you're going to grow tremendously. And people are basically when there's a buyer, they say, well, why didn't you do that? I don't believe you because it was so easy. You should be doing that. And 
it creates tremendous strain at the sale of a business. All right, let's move to the growth scenario. What do you need for growth? Generally, people need capital to grow. And there's lots of ways to raise capital. You can do private offerings, you can do Kickstarter, et cetera. But the most common way, let's just say you wanna buy a building, you've done the numbers, you go, oh my gosh, we could save instead of paying rent, we would actually pay less on a mortgage and we'd be able to grow equity which would be a key part of this retirement plan that you're putting into place of selling eventually. The building could be sold separately. I know people that the only profit they have is in their building, they're paying it off. And their core business, it basically breaks even every year from a cash flow perspective. How do you get the loan? How do you get the loan for the building if you're losing money? How do you get the loan for the building if you can't show the bank, hey, no problem, I can, take your loan, take on the debt and pay it back every month. That's one of the key uses of a cash flow model. And you can go talk to any lender and say, listen, I want to get a business loan. Would it be helpful if I had a cash flow model instead of just the financial statements that they asked for? And, and they'll go, absolutely. If I have a choice between somebody who has a business model that I can talk to them about and somebody's just going, here's my past financials, they'd much rather be working with somebody who's got a good business model in place that shows them the loan can be repaid. Oh, I love that. And that, uh, in essence, that's kind of that whole integration piece. Uh, whether it's real estate, whether it's business, whether it's your lifestyle, whatever you do, it, it's that cash flow mindset. And that's really a wealth, a great wealth foundation. It, it is. Let, let, me, let me give you a couple of others. Now that you're mentioning that, I, I alluded to it. You know, if you're trying to grow wealth, um, put money aside every time. Put 2% of your revenue aside into cash. And then if you have enough cash, build up a cash reserve. And when you've got enough cash reserve, let that flow, into flow over into retirement plans or into other assets. Um, if you don't want to own them personally, a company is allowed to own assets uh, like stocks and bonds and all sorts of things, gold. I'm not a financial advisor, but companies can invest for the future just like people can. No, I, I think that's a, a really key takeaway that, you know, you can have your business also invest. One thing, you know, when businesses think, you know, it's cyclical, right? You start a business and you want to, mm -hmm. you know, make money and you want to provide for your family and you own the business for a number of years. And let's say that, you know, for those business owners that are content through the years that, you know, they feel pretty comfortable, things are good enough for them. Mm -hmm. You know, at what point does it make sense when the objective starts to change to now I'm ready to sell? You know, there's probably some runway that you want to give yourself if you want to really increase the cash flow to, to make the most at, at that sale. You know, how long typically, you know, because it, it seems like I read an article the other day, I think it was a CNBC article about the transfer of wealth of baby boomers right now and how many are, you know, they want to get out of their business, um, are looking, but maybe didn't make that determination early enough. And now we've got a pandemic, you know, it's uh. harder to secure capital for people to buy these businesses. 
you know, how long would you tell someone when the objective changes and you're starting to think about selling would be a good time to work with someone, you or someone like you to help them really make sure that this is bringing in a lot of good cash flow so that they could get top dollar? So the minimum is three years. That's what people ask for. Give me a copy of your last three years financials. That's what they'll pay for. But here's the challenge. If you start three years in advance, it takes you a while to get there, especially if you've got bad habits. And um, in my opinion, every business should start with the end in mind. What do you want to do with it? And if your goal is to sell, you should be starting to do things immediately that will allow you to sell. Um, a lot of people, the serial entrepreneurs, they start businesses to sell in three to five years. Uh, capital investors, they, they want their money out in three to five years. 10 years is a long time for these guys who put capital in. Um, so that's, that's my answer. Sooner is better. I think that's a great tip for anyone that's just thinking about starting out is what do you believe that ends going to be to you? Is it, you know, is it a three to five years you want to start something and sell it or you mm -hmm. want to grow it and keep it for the majority of your working career and then sell it, you know, yep. to someone to really start thinking about that sooner rather than later, you know, cause I know a lot of people, they get in business. I've got a great idea. Mm -hmm. And there's a market for it. And I'm going to go to the Secretary of State, register this LLC, and I'm just going to jump in and get going, right? Because I'm yeah. really hungry without thinking, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line on what's the exit strategy for, for this business. Yeah, and it's okay. It's perfectly fine. Most businesses are going to fail in five years. So why put a ton of time and energy up front, especially if that's not your mindset People don't, most people who start businesses are not business people. They are, they are uh, skilled technicians in some way, shape, or form with an entrepreneurial itch. Call it a side hustle. Call it whatever you want to. And they just say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell clothing in my basement because, um, because I'm a designer. I'm a fashion designer. I'm going to sell it on Etsy. Okay, that's great. But all of a sudden they blow up and they never intended to. How do you blame somebody for doing that? How do you say, well, you should have done this? No, it's fine. Follow this whole idea of following your passion is great. But again, once you get to a point where you're feeling overwhelmed, specialized, I know somebody on Etsy that she does whatever she does, but she's got an assistant who buys all the materials, preps all the materials. Uh, deals with all the ordering. So this woman can just focus in on the artwork, period. And then she hands it off and the, the person who works with her wraps it, signs, you know, does the card, sends it off, to whatever else has to be done. And so an artist can just do art. It's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's not hugely scalable. But actually, there's a, a artist called Kincaid. I forget uh, somebody Kincaid, and he's really famous. His pictures have lots of light, points of light. They have light, 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 light. So that's what he's famous for. His paintings go for a fortune. If you want to buy an original, if you want to purchase 
um, a painting that he literally touches up. He paints the light on, but it's a print, the rest of it. That still costs like thousands of dollars. Or you can buy a poster of the exact same thing for 25 bucks, right? There's scalability in every business um, if you do it the right way. And I don't think he ever intended to get into business like that. But hallelujah, somebody turned on his light bulbs that he figured it out. Yeah, I think the, the passion always has to serve a purpose. Without the purpose, your passion can be great, but there's still that lack of and like attention to detail and just exit strategies, the whole nine yards. But Yep. You know, people say money, business shouldn't be all about money. I don't disagree with about that because if it was all about money, we'd just be saying, hey, you want some money? Yeah, I want some money. Here, I'll give you some money. You give me some money. So it can't be just about money and business is very personal, but at the end of the day, it has to be about profit and loss because without making money and then having the cash flow to support it, you're out of business. So no matter how much good you want to do in the world, you know, Ben and Jerry's contributes millions of dollars, right? Paul Newman, the salad dressing, it all goes, profits go to charity, but you notice they still generate a profit. They've got to generate a profit or otherwise there's no way to do good. There's no way to support the employees that their families have good health insurance and all the other great stuff. Yeah, I think that's absolutely, you hit it right on the head. I, I still remember from my undergrad accounting, you know, the cash is king, you know, when it comes to business, that cash and the flow of cash is, is king. If you want to run a profitable business, profitable business. You, you know, I don't like that saying. I, I, I don't. And I'll tell you why. What does a king do? It sits up there. He sits upon a pile of gold, right? Says, go do this. Go do that. As far as I'm concerned, cash is the lifeblood of your business. I and like it, that a lot better. Yeah. And it's flowing through the veins of your business. And if it stops flowing, you're dead. If you don't have enough, you're dead. If you have too much, do a couple of, you know, uh, what are the donations? Go to the Red Cross, get some blood donated, and have them stored in the refrigerator, take it home and store it in the refrigerator, whatever. If you've got excess blood, which some people do. And, and so I like that analogy. So if people walk away, one thing, cash flows. It flows through your business. It comes in. It stays inside your business in forms of office supplies. There's cash. Your, your computer, that's cash. In forms of inventory, that's cash. It's things that you've converted cash into assets to help you move forward. And that, to me, is a much better way to think about it. Absolutely. So, well, David, that's all I got. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today, guys. If you haven't had a chance, check him out on LinkedIn. Uh, he's got a website, davidsafer.com, E-A-B-I-D-S-A-F-E-E-R.com. He's a genius, guys. Great info. Great guy. Uh, really appreciate you coming on today, David. And we'll look forward to continuing maybe some more detailed podcast in the future. Thank you. I, I'd love to go into more depth on any given topic. If you want, I'll send you my list of 135 plus things, how to, how to uh, manipulate cash flow.
That would be awesome. Thanks again, David. Appreciate Thank you joining us and we'll be in touch. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening today. Uh, please let us know what you would like us to discuss next. If this brought you any value at all, please give us a follow, subscribe, share it with your friends, really get the word out there. And we'll see you next time.